There in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 12, is where we're going to begin reading. And so as we read in verse 12 of Deuteronomy chapter 7, then it shall come to pass because you listen to these judgments and keep and do them that the Lord your God will keep you with you the covenant and the mercy which he swore to your fathers. And he will love you and bless you and multiply you. And he will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your land, your grain and your new wine and your oil and your increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flock in the land which he swore to give to your fathers. And you shall be blessed above all peoples. There shall not be a male or female barren among you or among your livestock. And so, Father, we do pray that tonight that you would just bless this time in the study of your word. I do pray that you would just open our hearts to hear from you. And Lord, as this is a portion of scripture that perhaps that we've never gone over in our own personal time, that maybe we've never heard, that we know that you desire for us to make application tonight, that we would understand that as we walk in your ways, there is blessing. And that as we walk in your ways and trust in you, to know that you are the great and awesome God that goes before us. And so, Lord, we thank you that we can be encouraged tonight. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Now, remember at this time in the book of Deuteronomy that Moses here is given his last address before he's going to go up on Mount Nebo. He's going to be shown the promised land supernaturally because you recall in the book of Numbers that it was Moses that erred there at Kadesh Barnea. He struck the rock when the Lord told him to speak to the rock because the people were thirsty. And so it was because of that that the Lord said, Moses, you're not going to go into the promised land. And we saw a few chapters ago in Deuteronomy that was Moses that was pleading to the Lord, Lord, let me see the promised land. And it was the Lord that said, Moses, stop asking. You are going to go and you're going to go up on the mountain and I will show you the land, but you're not going to go into the promised land. But what you're going to do is you're going to commission Joshua to take the children of Israel into the promised land. And so here is a nation, a new generation that is poised to cross the Jordan River and begin to take and possess the land that is before them. You recall that it was their fathers that died out there in the wilderness. At this time of the book of Deuteronomy, they're in the 40th year of their wilderness wandering. And so the wilderness ended up being a, a large graveyard for them because of their disobedience and unbelief and hardness of heart that we saw in Numbers chapters 13 and 14. And so Moses here is given an account in, in telling this new generation, first of all, what happened with uh, their fathers being brought out of the house of bondage, Egypt, into the wilderness. How God brought them to the mountain of God, Mount Sinai, made a covenant with them and gave them the law. So we saw in chapter 5, of course, just a couple chapters ago, that the Lord would uh, again, or Moses would reiterate the Ten Commandments. You see, as a nation, physically they were ready to go into the promised land, but spiritually they weren't. And so this new generation needed to hear the law once again. And that's why Deuteronomy means the second law. Not that it's a new set of laws that are going to be given to them, but this new generation that's going to go into the promised land and possess the land, they needed to get ready spiritually. They needed an official reading of the law. So here is Moses giving his last address. The book of Deuteronomy, chronologically, only 
is about a 30-day time span that Moses has given this address to them. And then he will go up on Mount Nebo as the book of Deuteronomy ends. He will die there, and there then the children of Israel will mourn for him for 30 days, and then they will go into the promised land. So as we have seen, that one of the major themes of the book of Deuteronomy is what? Is obedience, isn't it? And the Lord is telling them over and over again the importance of them to walk in the ways of the Lord, to keep his commandments, to be ones that are keeping the statutes. Don't forget about me. Don't forget about the covenant that I made with you. Don't forget that the law that I gave to you. And so as one of the things that is being pointed out here that we don't want to miss is that the Lord is saying that I want you to love me. I want you to have a heart for me. And that is such a key when it comes to obedience. You see, closely linked to walking in the ways of the Lord in obedience is having a heart for the Lord. Because the book of Proverbs tells us that out of the heart flows the issues of life. And if you have a heart and a love for the Lord, then you're going to have a desire to walk in his ways. And so we've seen that, that it is Moses that is telling this this new generation that, listen, that you would have a a heart for the Lord. And, of course, the great Shema, as we read in chapter 6, that the Lord says, Love me with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus said that was the greatest commandment as that scribe would come to him and ask him what was the greatest commandment. Love the Lord with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the second is like it, that you are to love your neighbor as yourself. Paul the Apostle would say in the New Testament that the law could be summed up in one word, and that was what? Love. So as you love the Lord, you're going to have a desire to walk with him. And folks, I'm going to keep reiterating that and, and, and saying that because it's such an important key in our Christian life. If you love the Lord, you're going to have a desire to walk in his ways and to please him. So love him, know him more. And that's why it's important that we know the Lord. The most important thing in our lives is knowing him. It's more important than serving him. And I'm not saying that serving the Lord isn't important. It's very important. But we serve out of what? A love for him. And we walk in his ways because we love him. And to know him and to love him is the greatest commandment for you and for me. Just loving the Lord with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's like my wife Sue. I'm faithful to Sue. I want to make her happy. It's because I love her. And it isn't an attitude that I have to. It's I want to. You see, there's a big difference, isn't there? It isn't that I got to, but I get to. I get to make her happy. I get to love her. I get to, to, to walk with her and have a life of blessing with her and be faithful to her because of my love for her. And it's the same thing with our love for the Lord. And if you have a heart for the Lord, then it's going to be worked out in your life. So that's why the Lord keeps reiterating that. Oh, that you would love me and, and know that the Lord loves you. He brought you out of Egypt. He carried you in his arms. He chose you, as we saw last week, not because you're a great nation, because of his love for you and, and because he chose you and you're a special treasure unto him. And so we see here that he reiterates, continue to be ones that are walking in the ways of the Lord. Verse 15, the Lord will take away from you all sickness and will afflict you with none of the terrible diseases of Egypt, which you have known, but will lay them on all those who hate you. Also, you shall destroy all the peoples whom the Lord your God delivers over to you. Your eye shall have no pity on them, nor shall you serve their gods, for that will be a snare to you. So one of the other things that we're going to see in chapter 7 and as we go into chapter 8 is that the Lord, again, is emphasizing to them that there is blessing in walking in obedience. So closely linked to obedience is not only love, but there is blessing as well. 
because there is blessing for you and for me as we walk in his ways. His ways are good. So he's reminding them to keep my ways, and as you do, that there's going to be blessing for you. You're not going to experience the terrible diseases like the Egyptians and the other nations, and that's one of the things that he'll keep repeating to them over and over again. And as I've mentioned to you in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, as it says that this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, that his commandments are not burdensome, as I have said to you, that every commandment of the Lord is an expression of his love to you. And so his commandments are not burdensome, and there is blessing when we walk in the commandments of the Lord. There is true freedom. Jesus said that you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so as we walk with the Lord, there is blessing that happens, because what happens when we sin or go after the ways of the world? What happened to them when they were in Egypt? Egypt is a picture of the world. Man, it was bondage, and it was slavery, and it was difficult, and it was the, the Egyptian taskmaster's whip that was on their back. And you see, for you and for me, we've been delivered from that. So why would we want to live in that? We're free. And to walk in the ways of the Lord, there is tremendous blessing. And that's where we experience that abundant life that the Lord has for you and for me. He doesn't want us in Egypt. He doesn't even want us out in the wilderness taking laps around Mount Sinai. And the reason that they were out there in the wilderness is because they did not become established in the promise of God, their unbelief, and their hardness of heart. We want to be ones that, Lord, your word is true. And, Lord, I believe that what your word has to say is, is, is true and is for me today. And so, Lord, I desire to walk in, in the ways that you have for me, knowing that that's where I'm going to experience the tremendous blessing that you have for me in my life. That is the joy of the Lord, the peace of the Lord, that is the strength of the Lord, the comfort of the Lord, those things. Because, Lord, I'm walking in your ways. There's the blessing for us as we do that. And so in verse 17, if you should say in your heart, these nations are greater than I, how can I dispossess them? You shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. The great trials which your eyes saw, the signs, the wonders, the mighty hand and the outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out, so shall the Lord your God do to all the peoples of whom you are afraid. Moreover, the Lord your God will send the hornet among them until those who are left who hide themselves from you are destroyed. Verse 21, you shall not be terrified of them, for the Lord your God, the great and awesome God, is among you. And the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you little by little. You will be unable to destroy them at once, lest the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. But the Lord your God will deliver them over to you and will inflict defeat upon them until they are destroyed. And he will deliver their kings into your hand and you will destroy their name from under heaven. No one shall be able to stand against you until you have destroyed them. And so have confidence in God's strength is what he's saying. When you go into the land, those other nations, the Canaanites and the Hiphites and the Parasites and the other ites that are in the land there, they're mightier than you, and we're going to see that the Lord's going to say, you know how it is that their cities, the walls are fortified to heaven, the giants are in the land, the Anakins, they're all over the place, they are mightier than you, but know this, that I am doing a work and I'm going to drive out those inhabitants. Now a couple things that you and I, that we can be confident that God is working in our lives. And as we saw in the book of Philippians, in chapter 1, verse 6, 
being confident of this very thing, that he has begun a good work, will bring it to completion, especially in the day of Christ Jesus. And so God is among us, and God goes before us, and God is work, doing a work in our midst, and we can be confident that he's going to continue to do that work. Now, one of the things that, I, that got my attention here in verse 22, notice that he says that those nations I'm going to drive out little by little from before you. And oftentimes, the Lord does that kind of work in our own lives. When we came to the Lord, many of us can have the testimony how, indeed, our hearts were changed, a regeneration of heart. And as we become a new creature in Christ, a new creation in Christ, all things become new, as the Scripture says, and you fell alive for the very first time, and it's wonderful. And, and there were things that, that you were involved in, the worldly pleasures, the fleshly tendencies, and those things. Some of those things went away quickly, and there was great victory over those things right away. But there were other things, perhaps those fleshly tendencies, that seemed to always be a battle. And don't get discouraged. Because I think a lot of us can say, you know what, a lot of great victories that the Lord has given to us. But I got this one fleshly tendency. I got this one thing that I struggle with. And don't get discouraged because the Lord, as you keep trusting in Him and looking to Him and abiding in Him, He's going to do that work. But it seems like little by little, right? The attitudes or the lust or whatever it might be. And the Lord desires for you to have victory as he goes before you, as he's working in your heart, as you yield to him. But I know that there are sometimes, Lord, this attitude I've had, I keep coming back to you, or whatever it might be, those fleshly tendencies, little by little he drives them out. And if you're here tonight and you feel like, Lord, I know I've been struggling with this, or it seems to come back and gets me or whatever, you know that the Lord desires for you to be forgiven, for you to turn back to him, for you to experience his comfort, to his power by the Holy Spirit, to continue to do that work. But it's little by little, it seems like at times. Hey, you guys, you're going to drive them out little by little, but I'm going to do a work, and I am, notice in verse 21, your God is the great and awesome God who is among you. He is a great and he's the awesome God that will drive out those things that just seem to have a grip on your flesh or on your heart as you just yield to him. And again, another key is to know him and to love him. And as you do, all those things will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Do you know that? As you just have more of Jesus, you're going to have less of the world that's going to have a grip on your heart. As you have more of the things of the kingdom and yielding to the Lord and walking in the spirit, you won't fulfill the desires of the flesh is what Galatians tells us. So allow him to continue doing that work. Don't give up. I know it can be frustrating. It can be something that uh, we can um, get discouraged by, but the Lord is still working in our lives. In verse 25, You shall burn the carved images of their gods with fire. You shall not covet the silver or gold that is on them, nor take it for yourselves, lest you be snared by it, for it is an abomination to the Lord your God. Nor shall you bring an abomination into your house, lest you be doomed to destruction like it. You shall utterly destroy it and utterly abhor it, for it is an accursed thing." One of the things that will give us victory and in, in not being enslaved to the worldly things or the pleasures or the fleshly tendencies is that you protect your home. He says, make sure that you don't have those carved images that are coming into your home. Make sure that you're not setting your eyes on them and, and that they're an abomination. And so you and I in our own homes, that make sure that you keep your home a place 
that it is a place where the Lord is spoken of, that the atmosphere of the Lord is there, the things of the Lord are spoken of, and the things of the Lord are meditated upon, and that you're protecting yourselves from those things that will come in that will defile you. Because it's so easy today, particularly in our society, coming through the computer, the perversity through the TV, the carnality, through all those things. And so protect your home, protect your kids. Make sure that your home is a place that where the things of God are being honored, just as we pray tonight. Don't be conformed you know, by this world, but be transformed, your mind, by the renewing of your mind. That is transformed as you just meditate on the things of God, that you may know what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. So you make sure that the world isn't just conforming you, shaping you all the time, because there's a lot of the world that's around us. But make sure that you're taking the time, that you're taking in the things of God, that you don't have those things in your home that you shouldn't have, that you're protecting your home as much as you can of the things that honor the Lord. And as you do, you're going to see again that those fleshly tendencies and those things are going to begin to lose a grip on your heart. So chapter 8, every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And so remember the Lord what he has done. That will be a point again that he will tell them. Moses telling this new generation, The Lord is saying to you, remember what he has done. He's brought you out of Egypt. He's led you all the way these 40 years into the wilderness, and he has done it to test your hearts. Now, God tested them in the wilderness, not because God didn't know their hearts, but because they didn't know their hearts. And it ended up being revealed with their murmuring and complaining, as we saw eight times in the book of Numbers with their disobedience and their refusal to go into the promised land. I know that there are times where I'll face a situation and in an attitude or anger or something will come out of me, and I think, Lord, was that my heart? And he's going, yeah. Was that really me? I mean, just the, the, the ugliness and, and the anger and stuff, yeah. Because he knows my heart. And those things come out, and it's like, oh, Lord, please help me, forgive me, cleanse me. Lord, change me. And sometimes the Lord will do that in testing us, not because he doesn't know our hearts. He knows our hearts, but those things end up being revealed. And when there is that conviction of the Lord that comes to draw you to himself, then allow the Lord to teach you. And and as he disciplines us and as he chastens us, always remember from Hebrews that it's out of his love for you and for, Lord, that you, that you keep me in that place where I'm yielded to you and, and you're continuing to do that work and confess it. Lord, I'm in agreement. That attitude or whatever it was that you're dealing with me, I confess that it's wrong. That's what the word confession means. I am in agreement with you, Lord, that it is wrong and I confess it. It's not making excuses for it. It's not dismissing it. It's being in agreement, Lord, that it is wrong and I confess it. And, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your forgiveness and your love. Change my heart, Lord. Continue to do that work in me. And so here he's saying, listen, I tested their hearts. And then second of all, he made them humble. He wants us to be humble to realize how much we need him. One of the things that we're going to see in chapters 8 and 9 is he's going to remind them of is I did not give you this land because you are such a righteous people. You are a stiff-necked people. 
And don't get too big on yourselves. And don't forget me when you get blessed in the land. So the Lord will humble us to make us realize how we need the Lord because pride says that I don't need the Lord. The pride says that I can do it myself or look what I did. Humility will say that, Lord, look what you have done. You get the glory. And, Lord, I have a total dependency upon you every single day. And so we read in verse 3, So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these forty years. You should know in your heart that a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. So talking about the disciplining of the Lord. But the Lord humbled you, allowed you to go hungry and thirsty, that you would cry out to the Lord, learn to depend on the Lord. And the Lord did feed them from the manna that came from heaven, from the water that would come from the rock, as Moses, first of all, there at Massa, struck the rock, and then he simply would speak to the rock. And so uh, here we see in verse 3 that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Now that may ring a bell with you, and if it does, it's because Matthew chapter 4, Jesus in the wilderness temptation of Satan, it was Satan that came to Jesus and said, turn these rocks into bread. Jesus had fasted for 40 days, and so Jesus quotes here from the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3 that that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It would be Jesus later on, shortly after that in the Galilee region, that he would say to the multitudes that I am the bread of life that comes from heaven. Your fathers had the manna that came from heaven, but they've perished out there in the wilderness, and the manna's gone. But I am the true bread that has come from heaven. So believe in me, come to me, the bread of life, and you shall not hunger. He would say, come and drink of me. He said to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, that if you drink of this water, that is the water of Jacob's well, you're going to thirst again. But if you drink of the water, that is the, the living water that I have to give, you will never thirst again. And great is that day when we come to the point in our Christian lives, when we accept it and we say, Lord, I understand that true satisfaction and fulfillment and, and real purpose in life and real joy and an abundant life that you have for me doesn't come from pursuing the things of the world. It doesn't come from being involved in the world or the things of the world. But it comes, real satisfaction and fulfillment. It comes by knowing you and loving you. So can I ask all of us a question here tonight? Do you come into this place hungry? Do you come into this place thirsty? I'm not talking about because you didn't have time to eat before service tonight. But in your souls and in your heart, in your spirit, are you thirsty or are you hungry? And Jesus gave that invitation, come to me. Come to me, believe on me, the bread of life, and you shall never hunger and you shall never thirst. He's talking about intimate fellowship and knowing him and loving him. He would say to the church at Laodicea there in Revelation chapter 30, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone opens the door and lets me in, I will come in and dine with him and what's up with him and you with me. He's talking about fellowship, knowing him. And as we come to that point in our lives where we humble ourselves and say, Lord, I'm understanding what your word declares all throughout your word from Genesis to Revelation, that where I have real purpose and satisfaction, where I'm really refreshed and renewed, 
where I have fulfillment in life is a life that just knows you and loves you and walks with you. And so I pray for all of us that it is our desire from this day and every day forward that I'm going to continually be drinking of the living waters. Jesus said, come and drink of me, and out of your belly will flow torrents of living water. He would say to come and eat of me. He's talking about fellowship and closeness with him. So here, as, as we continue looking at this, as he talks about uh, all these things that he has for us uh, to, to be blessed and to, to just draw close to him, and that's what his desire was with their fathers, but they didn't do that. They were ones that murmured and complained and doubted and were unbelief and had a hardness of heart in their lives. Verse 6, Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you to a good land, a land of brooks and water, of fountains and springs, the flow of the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron, not whose hills you can dig copper. And when you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given to you. He has said to them all along, hasn't he? He said that the land I'm going to give to you is a good land. And it is a good land. You know, Israel is a small country. The land that they would go in and possess is a small area, only the size of the state of New Jersey. But a lot of people who haven't been to Israel, they kind of picture Israel as nothing but sand dudes and Arabs on camels shooting at each other. That's not what Israel is all about. It's very fascinating. I think it's one of the most fascinating places geographically in the whole world. It's because where three continents meet together, Europe, Africa, and Asia. And there in that little tiny place, you have a small area geographically, but four distinct climates. You have along the coast, which is like Southern California. Then you have up north uh, where you have the Galilee region. You have the Samaritan Mountains. Um, and you have forests there, mountains. You have uh, where it's very lush. You have vegetation uh, uh, that is all around. You go up to the very northern part of Israel, and it's very much uh, beautiful streams. The headwaters of the Jordan River has got trout in it, fish in it. Um, you have um, the apple orchards that are up there uh, in that area. You have uh, the best watermelon, I think, in the whole world that has grown there. We were there the last time, and it was wonderful watermelon. Uh, they got orchards of uh, grapes and, and, of course, uh, oranges, and um, banana, you know, orchards as well. Very, very fertile land. Then you get it over to, you know, the Negev Desert, and you get in the area of the Dead Sea, the lowest point on the face of the earth, and, and then you have Jerusalem and the hills, and it's, it's just very, very distinct and very, very wonderful, very beautiful land, and that's what he's told them, that it's a good land. It's, it's a prosperous land. You're going to be blessed by this land flowing with milk and honey. And you're going to have, you know, figs and pomegranates. And you're going to have olive trees and much to eat. You're going to have stones of iron and you can dig copper. All those things that you need because I'm giving you this land. One of the things that I do want to do when we go into the book of Joshua, and, and we'll be done with Deuteronomy in just a couple of weeks, what, 34 chapters? So we'll be there in a couple of weeks. But after, I'm seeing if you're still with me tonight, all right? But we'll be there when we get to Joshua, when they go into the promised land. What I'd like to do is actually, uh, and one of the reasons why I like to have these screens up that, that have such good quality, is I actually want to show you 
some of the land that they're going in and show you up on the screen so you can kind of get an idea of it and get a picture of it. So hopefully that'll be a blessing to you as we do that. But we need to finish uh, here this chapter 8 of Deuteronomy before we get there. But there is blessing. It's a beautiful land. And so verse 11, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them. And when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions, and thirsty land where there was no water who brought water for you out of the flinty rock who fed you in the wilderness with manna with your fathers did not know that you might humble you and that he might test you to do good in the end and verse 17 then you shall say in your heart my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth and you shall remember the lord your god for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Listen, he's warning against, first of all, pride in in this chapter. He's saying, don't you guys become prideful. And don't forget me when you go into the land and you are blessed. When you begin to live in those homes, when you begin to take of the land, when you are experiencing the blessings that I've given to you, Don't forget about me. Don't say it's because of me. One of the dangers of when we become blessed in our lives is there's a tendency that we forget about the Lord. And there can be a tendency that we stop depending on the Lord. And I pray that would never happen to any of us. Now, we're going through a time economically where it's been rough. And it's been rough for perhaps a number of us financially and you're depending on the lord and you're really seeking the lord and you've seen the lord work and you continue to pray and we hope that things get better but what i hope is is that none of us would stop depending on the lord i pray as a church that we would never stop depending on the lord that no matter how much the lord blesses calvary chapel of greeley that there would be this total dependency upon him and that we would understand that that blessing comes from him The scripture says every good gift comes from above. And we need to be thankful for what the Lord blesses us with. We need to be content with what the Lord has blessed us with. We need to continue to trust him and have a dependency upon him. But never come to that place where you stop depending upon the Lord. Even growing, listen, even growing in the knowledge of God's word. I see it happen over and over again. You guys are here. So this is kind of like preaching to the choir. But what can happen is people come Sundays, they come Wednesdays, they're involved in lady studies that we have, men's study on Tuesday night, things like that. And it can happen year after year, and pretty soon you start to think, well, I know it. I don't need to continue to grow in God's Word. I, don't need to, I, I know the Bible. I don't need to come out on Wednesday nights anymore. We've been through, it's only the book of Deuteronomy. And I'm not trying to be negative or condemning. I'm just saying we need to guard our hearts against those kinds of things. We need to be dependent upon the Lord. We need to be ones that, Lord, I want to continue to grow in your word and in your love. And I know that as I do, that's going to keep me close to you. And it's going to remind me of how much I do need you. And again, as I reminded you last week, we can go over this and you can think, yes, the Lord has said this over and over again. 
Why does he say it over and over again? Because you and I need to hear it over and over again. So that's why Paul would say, for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. And to keep in that safe place and that place of dependency is where we need to be and that place of thankfulness that, Lord, I understand that the blessings that I have materially, spiritually come from you. And I thank you and there needs to be a total dependency upon you. And so he says, don't forget about me. Don't forget about me. What happened to them? Well, in their history, you see that they ended up forgetting about the Lord. And in verse 19, Then it shall be if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them. I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. As the nations which the Lord destroys before you, you shall perish because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. In chapter 9, Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today and go into dispossess nations greater and mightier than yourself, cities great and fortified up to heaven, a people great and tall, the descendants of Anakin, whom you know, of whom you have heard it, who can stand before the descendants of Anak. Now we've talked about Anakin, that the giants that were in the land, their cities were fortified, walls that were huge, they were all over the place. And it was that generation that came out of the wilderness or out of Egypt into the wilderness that would not go into the promised land, even though God had given the promise that I will drive those giants out, I will defeat them. So here, once again, Moses is saying to them, understand, Israel, when you cross over Jordan here in just a short time, that you're going to go against the people who are greater, greater and mightier than you. God was asking them to do something really big. Because the cities were great, the people were tall, and you know them, and you know it to be true. And you got a huge task ahead of you, and you know that you can't do it in and of yourself. You know, in the battles that are ahead for us, for you and for me, in some of those battles, we look at it and we think, they're giants that I'm facing. The situation seems to be like a fortified wall. I just, there's, how am I going to get through this time or this circumstance? And those battles are big and they loom. And we think, Lord, how can this be? And the Lord says to you and to me, as he said to them, that I am the great and awesome God who is among you and I go before you. And I know that there are some that are here and some that belong to Calvary Chapel here that you got some big battles that are ahead of you. And there's some large giants and there's things that seem to be like, how's this going to work out? How are we going to penetrate and get through this? The Lord is with you. And he desires to give victory to you because God is, goes before you and he is true and he's a consuming fire. As we read in verse 3, Therefore understand today that the Lord your God is he who goes before you as a consuming fire. He will destroy them and bring them down before you, so you shall drive them out and destroy them quickly, the Lord has said to you. Understand, I go before you. I will drive them out. I like that. He's a consuming fire. And in the battles that, that loom large for us, know that he'll never leave you or forsake you, and he goes before you. So focus on the Lord, okay? You remember back in Exodus, we know the story, when the children of Israel, when they left Egypt and they came and they're backed up against the Red Sea and there's Pyrrhireth and Migdal, those mountain ranges on both sides of them. And all of a sudden they hear the chariots coming at them, the Egyptians. And it says there in Exodus chapter 14 that, that they looked up there 
And they saw the Egyptians, and they began to cry out to Moses. You see, they saw the Egyptians. How could you miss them? Here are the Egyptians about ready to run them over, the mightiest army in the, in the whole known world at that time, ready to run them over. But you see, what they needed to do is lift their eyes a little bit higher. And I know that there are seasons in our lives, and perhaps maybe you're in that season, where you feel like you're just about ready to be run over by the world. And there's nowhere to go. You're backed up and you don't know where to go or whatever. Don't just keep focused on the circumstances. And that's easy to do for any of us to do. Of course it is. But don't forget to lift your eyes a little higher. And get your focus on the Lord who goes before you and I. Who's there with us. Whose promises are true for us. And know, just as Moses said, that you shall see the salvation of the Lord. And you and I will see the Lord working. I don't know how he will or what he will do, but I know that he sees you and he loves you and he goes before us and his promises are still true for us. So he's saying that, you know what? Here you need to continue to just trust in me. And verse 4, don't think in your heart after the Lord your God has cast them out before you, saying, because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out from before you. It is not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you go in to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God drives them out from before you and that he may fulfill the word of the Lord, swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Therefore, verse 6, understand that the Lord your God has not given this good land to possess because of your righteousness for your stiff-necked people. Did we get that? The last three verses... Did he make it clear to you and to I? I'm not giving you this land because of your righteousness, verse 4. Because of your righteousness or uprightness of heart, verse 5. Because of your righteousness, verse 6. I'm giving you this land because of the wickedness of those nations. I'm giving you this land to fulfill my word I've given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm giving you this land because of my goodness, because I have chosen you, as he has said to them. You're a special people unto me. It's not because of your righteousness over your uprightness of heart. For you and I, as we experience the blessings of the Lord, you know, one of the things that I remember, Lord, that it is because of your goodness and your faithfulness and your grace, I know that there is blessing, that you're going to bless as we walk in obedience, that whatever a man sows, so shall he reap. If we reap, sow seeds unto the Spirit of the Spirit, we shall reap everlasting life. If you sow seeds to the flesh, then of the flesh corruption is going to be the harvest that we're going to see, as Galatians tells us. And I understand that there is blessing as we walk in obedience, but I hope that we would never come to the mindset of, Lord, you know what? I'm walking in your way, so I deserve your blessings. I'll be honest. The Scripture says what you and I deserve is hell. That's what we do deserve. But because of God's grace and his love for us, he came and died for you and for me. You see, we've broken the law too. We're ones that our hearts, as Jeremiah says, are desperately wicked. And as we experience the forgiveness of the Lord and the salvation of the Lord as we come to him, oh, Lord, thank you for saving me. Thank you for your love for me. And I know that you're going to bless me as I walk with you. 
But I pray that we would never think, Lord, man, you are so lucky that you have me as a child of God, and you know, and I deserve this, and I deserve that, and I read my Bible two hours, so I better get some blessing today that we get that mindset that, Lord, I know that if anything that comes from my life that is good is because of your goodness and because of your mercy. And, Lord, that I know that I am once, as Paul prayed in chapter 1 of Philippians, that, that, that fruit of righteousness may abound from us, certainly, yes. But first of all, we have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Then we get to have the fruits of righteousness worked out in our lives. But you see, it comes as we just depend on him, doesn't it? Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. I want us just to have a proper perspective. He's saying, you guys, don't get prideful. and think it's all because of you. And I pray that you and I would not get prideful where we think, I deserve this and I deserve that. I come here in this ministry at Calvary Chapel. I desire to work hard for the congregation, for the people, to do ministry in a way that is pleasing to the Lord and is a blessing to you. But I know I don't deserve this ministry. And I am so thankful that the Lord allows me each and every day to come into here and be the pastor of this wonderful congregation. And I just, I can't believe that he would allow me to do that. Because of his goodness and his, you know, his calling on my life. And I don't know why he chose me to be the pastor. He just did, and I'm just going to enjoy it. And try to do the best as God works in my life. And anything good that comes out of my life is because he's working that in my life. I don't walk around saying, well, Lord, I deserve more people. I deserve more of this and a bigger building and all of this. The Lord, if one person comes, one person comes, that I thank you for that one person. One person to minister to, I thank you, Lord. And I thank you, the Lord, that the things that I have in my life and what you're doing through my life. And that's what the mindset that we all have, just, just being overwhelmingly just amazed at this grace that God has given to you and to me. So don't think it's because of your uprightness of heart and you deserve it. You're a stiff-necked people, he says. And Remember, do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day that you parted from the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. And also in Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath so that the Lord was angry enough with you to have destroyed you. And when I went up on the mountain to receive the tablets of stone and tablets of the covenant the Lord made with you, then I stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights and neither ate bread nor drank water. Then the Lord delivered to me two tablets of stone written with the finger of God, and on them were all the words of the Lord had spoken to you on the mountain in the midst of the fire of the day of the assembly. In verse 11, it came to pass at the end of 40 days and 40 nights that the Lord gave me two tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant. And then the Lord said to me, Arise and go down quickly from here, from your people whom you brought out of Egypt, have acted corruptly. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded image. Furthermore, the Lord spoke to me, saying, Verse 13, I have seen this people, and indeed they are a stiff-necked people. Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot their name from under heaven that I will make you a nation mightier and greater than they. So I turned and came down from the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire, and the two tablets of the covenants were in my two hands. And I looked, and behold, you had sinned against the Lord your God and made yourselves a molten calf. You turned aside quickly from the way the Lord had commanded you. Then I took the two tablets, threw them out of my two hands, and broke them before your eyes. And I fell down before the Lord as at the first forty days and forty nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water, a supernatural fast, of course, because of all your sins which you committed in doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. 
For I was afraid of the anger, the hot displeasure, which the Lord was angry with you to destroy you, but the Lord listened to me at that time also. And the Lord was very angry with Aaron and would have destroyed him, so I prayed for Aaron also at the same time. And I took your sin, the calf which you have made, and burned it with fire, and crushed it, and ground it in very small until it was fine as dust. And I threw its dust in the brook that descended from the mountain. And at Terabah and Massa and Kiproth Hataeva, you provoked the Lord to wrath. And likewise, when the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea, saying, Go up to possess the land which I have given to you, you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God, and you did not believe him nor obey his voice. What Moses was saying, don't think it's because of your uprightness of heart. This is what happened. And he recounts the story there, what happened in the book of Exodus chapter 32. Moses is up on the mountain. He's receiving the law of God. He's, he's there on that mountain. They're saying, Where has, what has become of that man, Moses? And they build a golden calf, dance nakedly around it. Moses talks about how he interceded for the people. God was going to destroy the people at that time. Moses would pray, saying, Lord, remember your promise to them. Remember that you're the one that brought them out to give them the land. What would the other nations say? We've looked at all that. We've discussed all that. So this is just a review of all what had happened. Kind of interesting, he said that God was going to kill Aaron at that time. And, of course, Aaron, you recall, that he's the one that told the people, give all the gold and we'll fashion a golden calf. And Aaron fashioned the calf. When Moses came down from the mountain and saw the people sinning around that golden calf, we see that it was Aaron that would say, you know what? Um, as Moses said to Aaron, you know what? Why did you do this, Aaron? What, what, you know, why did you sin? Well, first of all, you didn't come down from the mountain. We didn't know where you were. Uh, you know these people are rebellious, and we threw all the gold in, and poof out came a golden calf. So he was making excuses, and then he would lie. So Aaron was really a recipient of God's grace big time. So he recounts that story. The two tablets of stone, he threw down on the ground and broke them because it symbolized that they had broken the law of God. They had already broken the covenant. I want to leave you with this. Written by the finger of God, the Ten Commandments on those stones. We know that 3,000 would die on that day that Moses came down from that mountain because they broke the law. It would be 1,500 years later at the temple in Jerusalem that they brought a woman caught in the very act of adultery and threw her down before Jesus and said, The law of Moses says she's to be stoned. What saith thou? And Jesus scooped down and with the finger of God wrote in the ground. You know the story of John chapter 8, how they would then, those Pharisees, drop their rocks. And there was that woman standing before Jesus. And he said, where are thy accusers? She said, no man accuses me. Neither do I. Go in peace. I am so thankful for Jesus going to the cross of Calvary that died for you and for me because all of us broke the law. And I am so thankful for his grace and mercy in my life that continues to be poured out on my life every single day that, that I'm here. And I am confident that he's going to bring it to completion. And I know that the Lord is going to bless us 
we just continue, all of us, individually and as a church, just to look to Him and trust in Him. But I am so thankful for His grace and His forgiveness and His love. The finger of God writing in the dirt there 2,000 years ago. The hand of God that would allow His hand to be pierced so we can be here tonight and rejoice. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you for this great encouragement tonight and your word. And Father, I pray that tonight is we're just going to continue to worship for a few moments, that you would just bless our hearts, that we would come and just stir our hearts to give you thanks and to praise you for your goodness and your grace in our lives. Lord, we have forgiveness and Lord, we thank you that you work the fruits of righteousness in our lives as we yield to you. Father, I pray that if there's anything that, that we struggle with or perhaps we come into this place with attitudes that are wrong or struggling with sin, whatever, that we would give it to you right now. And we would confess it and just be in agreement that, Lord, it is wrong, it's sin, and I'm to repent from it. And just receive your love and your goodness. And Lord, that we would just press in on you right now, knowing that we can come right now and enter into that time of worship, taking in the bread of life, the living waters that you have. Lord, just bless our time together again as we just worship for a couple songs and just, to just, just press in close to you. If you need any prayer, I'll be over on the side. Come up for prayer at all.